Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World. I am your host, Phil Pustiovsky. Have you ever wondered if there's any money to be made investing in the ghetto? Well, that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. It doesn't get any more real world than this. I don't know if there's any specific definition of the ghetto, but I'll say this. You know what it looks like when you're there. It's the parts of town that are very depressed from a property value standpoint, extremely high crime rate, tons of vacant or boarded up homes lining the streets, graffiti everywhere, where you would feel completely unsafe when you drive through there. So that would be the ghetto. So is there any way for a real estate investor to make money on deals in those areas? Well, that's what we're going to talk about because there absolutely is. And at the core of why there's such a big opportunity is this important distinction that in the ghetto, property prices tend to be quite low, but in comparison, the rental rates are actually quite high. It can actually be quite shocking just how high the rental rates are in comparison because you would think being in the ghetto that the rental rates would just be much, much lower. And yes, they are lower than the nice parts of town, but they're not a tremendous amount lower, whereas the property values are. So what that creates is a really strong cash flow. Cash flow meaning the amount you have to pay each month uh, versus how much you bring in. So the cash flow can be huge. And another little side benefit if you end up uh, getting into the business of owning real estate in the ghetto is that in some situations an area may actually get revitalized by the city. So what was once a ghetto could turn into an artsy kind of uh, trendy location where the prices of the property skyrocket, becomes a, it becomes a new big thing, the new cool area to live. Uh, but by and large, the real power play where the profits can be made and invest in the ghetto is from the standpoint of the fact that the rental rates are so high so you can cash flow so strong. Now, the idea of owning rental property in and of itself can scare new investors. There's all kinds of horror stories about becoming a landlord and getting calls at 3 a.m. to fix toilets and uh, crazy tenants that you can't evict that aren't paying you rent and all these other sorts of terrible things. Well, let's break this down. Uh, for the record, being a landlord, there's only three main responsibilities. Number one, collecting rent. Number two, handling maintenance requests. And number three, visiting the property ever so often. So, collecting rent. In the ghetto, collecting rent can be done in a pretty cool way. You can actually potentially get the property uh, accepted into the Section 8 housing program, which is a local government program. And you can get Section 8 tenants. And here's what's so nice about those tenants. The government pays their rent. So you are collecting rent from the government, not the actual tenant. And therefore, unless, of course, the government goes broke, you basically don't have to worry about the collection of your rents. They come in like clockwork every month from the government. And again, you have to uh, have your property approved through the Section 8 guidelines and those sorts of things. But that's something you can look up. You can go find in your local uh, county um, records, uh, the department. There's going to be one that handles Section 8. 
Um, you can also see what's on um, the market right now in your area for Section 8 rentals by going to gosection8.com, the number 8. So it's gosection and then the number 8.com. And so collecting rents, if you are uh, a Section 8 investor, is actually extremely easy. It comes in automatically from the government. Number two is handling maintenance requests. Now, that's where things tip uh, into the other direction of the scale. Not so easy. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, those in the free seats hiss first. Meaning, those that don't pay any money tend to complain the most. And it's a bizarre human psychological uh, uh, distinction, but it's absolutely true. And so what you run into when the tenant is not actually using their own hard-earned money to pay the rent, but the government is paying their rent, is that they may complain more. So you're going to have more maintenance requests. And you may have that awful 3 a.m. phone call to fix the toilet. So what do you do about that? Well, I'll tell you what Section 8 investors do is they literally set up a 24-7 phone number that forwards to a 24-7, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a handyman. And so the call would go directly to the handyman or the handyman's assistant or whatever, and they would handle it. So the investor never gets that phone call at 3 a.m. It goes right to their handyman. But that's an extra expense, obviously. The cost of someone to drive out at 3 a.m. to fix a, a toilet's not going to be cheap. However, if you're cash flowing as well as you can on Section 8 deals in the ghetto, it can be worth it. And then you get the economies of scale if you get several properties. So now all of a sudden you have this one handyman service that's handling the maintenance issues for several of the properties. All right, number three would be visiting the property. For so many reasons, if you are going to own real estate for rental um, or leasing long-term uh, angles or, or directions, you're going to have to go look at the properties. You just have to, to make sure the handyman is, is doing the work they're supposed to do, to make sure there's no deferred maintenance going on, make sure that the tenants haven't um, moved like 40 people in the home and they have like 10 different pets in there. All kinds of reasons you got to check up on your property. And if you're uncomfortable driving around in the ghetto, that's a perfect reason not to buy properties in the ghetto for rental purposes. Uh, I, I have no personal issues really driving around the ghetto. I've done it for years and years and years. I've done a lot of deals in the ghetto. I'm, I'm not nervous about the safety issues. Uh, I definitely know of many investors that do deals in the ghetto that always have a handgun in their, uh, their glove box. Um, my wife, on the other hand, does not like me driving in the ghetto. And the old saying, happy wife, happy life. So I don't actually own rentals in the ghetto. What I do is if I get a deal that comes across my desk and it's in a very a bad part of town, I will flip or sell the property to another um, investor that does deals in those areas. I'll flip it to a Section 8 investor. And so I make good money. Um, and so there is a that's a huge drawback, though, of the ghetto is the fact that you've got to be in, in – and, and look at the properties. And if you're not willing to drive in those areas, you're not feeling safe going in there, then, then I wouldn't own them from a rental perspective. So that brings up an interesting both drawback and benefit. Okay, the to get a loan on a property, typically banks or mortgage companies have a minimum loan amount threshold. It's 70000 50000 Just It depends on the area. Well, in the ghetto, what tends to happen is the property prices are so low 
that they're below these these thresholds. So it's so hard to get a loan or even a local bank loan on a property in the ghetto, which means that a lot of Section 8 investors, a lot of people that buy properties in the ghetto pay all cash. Now, that's a benefit if you're flipping the property. It's a drawback if you're trying to own it long term because it means you got to have a lot of cash on your hands to buy uh, several of these types of properties. So uh, with that in mind, flipping the properties is, is fantastic. But one other little tip on flipping to uh, Section 8 investors and uh, anybody else who's buying properties in the ghetto, uh, don't fix them up. Because if you try to fix them up to the point of retail level where someone's going to move in, as we just talked about, it's very hard to get a loan. So it'd be very hard for a prospective retail buyer who's going to move in the property to get a loan either. So you don't want to fix it up. Um, and then as it relates to fixing it up prior to flipping to a Section 8 investor, I would uh, discourage you from doing that as well because they have their own plans, their own contractors, their own ways of renovating these houses to get them up to uh, Section 8 standards. And, and you don't want to get in the way of that. So just get it under contract and then just flip it to one of them. And so that's... That's how you invest in the ghetto. You know, the deal comes along and, and you get it under contract and you flip it to a Section 8 investor or you take it down and you fix it up and you rent it out on a Section 8. And uh, if you do go the Section 8 route, it can be great cash flow. It's just you've got to set up a good system for managing the maintenance and be willing to go visit that property now and again. All right, well, this is Phil Pustiowski with this podcast of Real Estate Investing in the Real World. If you'd like to learn more about uh, us and, and what we teach and, and all the different trainings that we have available, go over to our website at freedommentor.com. You can also go to my YouTube channel, which has got a tremendous amount of videos and just a ton of great resources for anyone interested in learning how to become a better real estate investor. Thanks so much for being on this Investing in the Ghetto podcast podcast. 